Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Oi, the boys on Footy Prime on occasion are known to use vulgarities and frankly appalling language. And sometimes tales are quite adult in nature. So keep the volume down if there are kiddies around. And thank you for listening. Oh, let's go! Booty, booty, it's time to get this party started. Booty, booty, it's time to get this party started. You know that we are the number one show. So grab your fucking mitts and now it's time to go. Cause it's the booty, booty, it's time to get this party started. It's the booty, booty, it's time to get this party started. With Danny, Jimmy, Greg, Donna, Jake, and JC. Well, good Thursday. Welcome to Footy Prime, the podcast. And obviously a massive, massive weekend coming up with, with the World Cup quarterfinals. We'll get to those later in today's show. But huge news earlier this week for soccer in Canada and beyond, in fairness. Two legit legends of Canadian soccer, Christian Sinclair and Diana Matheson, announced in the CBC they are founding a professional women's league in Canada. Tentatively scheduled to kick off in 2025. Um, eight teams, four out west, four in the east. Uh, Vancouver and Calgary already committed. Um, so many questions. So let's welcome in our guest, friend of the show, even though it's her first appearance, I think. It's Diana Matheson. Diana, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I know I was saving my first appearance when there was something fun to talk about. So here we go. <laughs> Absolutely. And it sure is fun. I mean, this is uh, yeah. fascinating, to say the very least. Uh, Women's league in, in, in Canada has been demanded, I think, for some time. But in recent months, we've seen top clubs in Canada hire qualified women to prepare for professional football in some form. Um, but for what league's been the big question? Uh, would it be MLS involved, CPL, Canada soccer, or something else? And it turns out it's the something else to the biggest names in the sport in this country saying, enough's enough. Let's just do this thing. W- what prompted this decision? It's been, I mean, it's been a bit of a a journey. Obviously, the the players, us soccer folks, national team coaches have been saying for a decade that we need a women's pro league. That's the next thing. Uh, I just saw someone had found an interview from John Herdman after 2012 saying that, that if we didn't have a pro league by 2020, we'd failed. So it's been years. People have been calling for it. And then for me, I retired about 18 months ago, I knew I wanted to stay involved in helping build the professional game somehow. I didn't know what that looked like. I knew I wanted to be somewhere more on the business side. Uh, so for me, it meant going back to school and, and kind of getting a bit more of that uh, business acumen. Uh, so I've been doing my executive MBA through this, this school, through on the hoodie, special for you guys. 
uh, and some UEFA programming as well. And then kind of through that stuff and my journey with that, everything I was learning, I could just say, oh, this would work in Canada. Oh, this won't work in Canada and just apply everything to our market, which was fun. And, and through that, I just got a, I got a good picture of how we might start to build here. And I met my business partner through um, the Smith School of Business and and yeah, we just uh, we got to work full time about seven months ago. So this is kind of the, this announcement has been the culmination of that work. I know, uh, Diana, that you you think highly and certainly one of the biggest supporters in women's soccer is Greg Kerfoot out of Vancouver. I mean, he's kind of one of those gentlemen who keeps himself sort of behind the scenes, but yeah. certainly has been a massive supporter. And I know that he was one of the first people that you went to um, and talked to about the potential for this. Uh, how did that go? And has his support uh, been something that uh, will resonate with other other MLS teams or other cities, perhaps, in Canada? Uh, yes, I'll answer that last bit first. It already has. Um, the other MLS clubs are asking that. Is it is it Greg that's in? And we said, yes, it's Greg that's in. And he was, he was one of my first phone calls. We approached a lot of this, going to those people we knew shared the same vision for building the women's game in this country. And I knew as a former women's national team player, like Greg Kerfoot has been supporting women's soccer since the early aughts. Like we trained for two years in Vancouver back in those days we were in residency and Greg was funding most of that. Greg pays for a lot of our youth national team funding still. Like he's always just been there behind the scenes. And I'm, I mean, I'm getting to know him better. He may even hate that I'm saying this uh, quite publicly, but he's been yeah. there, you know, putting, the money down. So he was my first call to say, here's the plan. What do you think? Could get his feedback. Um, and then he kind of pushed us to make sure we were far enough along. And then, yeah, the Whitecaps were first in the door. And now it's about finding the six other owners. That's amazing. Hey, you know, when, uh, I mean, even when the, the CPL was starting, there was always a discussion about the women's women's game as well. And um, and now that it's, it's coming to, fr to fruition, what has the response been to a lot of the players that are playing over in Europe, the Canadians, and dreaming of coming back home and playing? Yeah, the, I mean, there's, it's excitement. It's like, I think we're all like, ah, oh, finally. It's like a sigh of relief mixed with excitement, I think. And then the challenge for us is to make sure we can get the right owners and the right investment in to build the clubs and the training facilities and the medical and the referees and get all these things up to the level they need it to be at to get these players back here but i think i think we can do it and i think the sky's the limit in canada i feel like with the media launch off the off my plate you get to start thinking about the fun soccer stuff again and yeah. we have the opportunity in canada like we have some of the best high performance um you know sport medicine practitioners sport and conditioning people in the world like that's something our league can be really good at we have really good ref women referees here. Like in oh, 10 yeah. years, we should have the best women referees in the world. Like it's that stuff that's, that has me really excited to work on this. So obviously the NWSL has been looking for a while now. There's been rumors about a franchise at some point in Canada. Uh, TFC were mentioned a, a while back. Does this now change that? Does this now turn, turn the people that were considering an N NWSL franchise into thinking, you know what, this is a better choice for us, a better option? Yes, I, I hope this is going to lay to bed um, those discussions. I think the league is the answer for Canada and, and the sky's the limit with that. And if we let NWSL into the country, it really threatens that vision. To be fair, I think NWSL coming to Canada had already petered out on its own in the last 
18 months, obviously franchise fees there are $25 million, which is a lot of money to give to a U.S. Wow. league to buy in. Mm-hmm. And NWSLs, like they're doing fine at the moment in the U.S. A ton of teams are, exp- are applying to be expansion teams. They're not really looking at the Canadian market that seriously. So it still didn't seem like it was going to happen. And then obviously our concern was if it did happen, it's still only one or two markets and it's not having the impact that you want coast to coast. Mm. So, so this this league, you see it as as being direct competition for NWSL, and and over what kind of time frame do you see that? Because obviously, CPL is finding this out. It's a slow build, and people mm-hmm. understand that. I think. What what's the time frame where you think you can go head to head with an NWSL league? Maybe have a Champions League, you know, th- this type of format. Yeah. I think there's two things to that, and I've spoke about it a bit. C- CPL had a tough ask. MLS had already been around 15 years. Was kind of that quote unquote tier one product. So they came in being positioned as a tier two on the men's soccer side. You know, they're around 70th best men's league in the world. We're coming in off the bat and we're going to push as hard as we can for upfront investment to get this league to where it needs to be off the bat as high as we can, because we have the player pool and we can like, we can sneak in here and be the sixth best league in the world off the bat. And then, you know, if we can lay this strong foundation, we can, we can grow, but we're, I, one of the things I think I learned through, you know, school and, and learning about women's sport over the last 18 months is a lot of the problems just stem from not having upfront investment. And then you can't afford good facilities and you can't afford good marketing and you can't afford good coaching staff. So we're going to push to get the money into this thing upfront so we can try and get the league to here so it can get to up here really quick instead of having to start down here and, and build it up really slowly. Diana, what do you think the biggest barrier or challenge is for you? I mean, geography is obviously a big one. When you look at the, you know, the English league and the, uh, what's happening over there, that the Euro was magnificent. Um, the growth is incredible. Uh, league football still isn't quite there. They they had a little bit of bump after Euro, but the average uh, attendances. Are, are decent, but not overly strong. They have massive brands on them as well. Man City, Man United, Chelsea, West Ham, you know, and they have their barriers as well, but they can drive from city to city. So flying is very, very expensive. And Canada is so large that it becomes a major factor. We know what it is for CPL. It's a, it's a major drain. How mm-hmm. do you get around those barriers? And will sponsorship help with that? Yeah, absolutely. And um, that's that's a big one for us, obviously, in Canada. I don't think any other country quite deals with that the way we do. Uh, mm-hmm. So two things for us, sponsors for sure. And Air Canada has been incredible in the door first, along with CIBC. And definitely we're looking to rely on them to lower costs for travel, but also make sure our players are traveling in the style they need to be traveling in. That's important for us to get, again, to get this league up here. And then competition format, uh, we're going to mix it up slightly. So mostly home and away model, but we're going to do these tiny hub events where twice per year, all teams fly to one market for 10 days. And in that time, our four East Coast teams will play our four West Coast teams once. And so Uh, we're going to have these, you know, twice a year events to both lower travel a little bit, but we want to build out things around those events too. There's going to be opportunity for knowledge sharing, you know, coaching, education, but also bigger things, youth girls soccer tournaments. We really love the idea. These are, you know, we haven't had time to dig into these yet, but we love the idea of a sport and music festival, like tie in, tie in outside sport, you know, make it make it bigger. So those like are the festival of football, right? events. Mm-hmm. Like festival of football, basically, twice a year. That's yeah. a great I'm in for idea. That. I'm that's, up. that's a great, yeah, sign us up, we're in. 
that'd be a, be a ton of fun. Yeah, and there's beer there too, I'm sure. Too, right? Like it's 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 hard. It's gonna be a lot of work because we're starting from scratch. But the fun part is you kind of get to start from scratch. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. you eight eight teams to start is a, it's perfect. A great number. What is the final goal? Are you are you looking at 12, 14? What what do you think would be a, a perfect ideal number for a professional women's league? Right now in, in kind of our 10-year horizon, we have it going to, to 12. Uh, that doesn't mean that's going to be a hard limit. We're looking to expand after about four years to 10, you know, add a team to both yep. conference and then expand to 12. And then I think it's going to depend on, you know, the financial health of the teams at that point and what's the markets doing and, and all these things. But yeah, it's, we like 12 for sure, at least as a target already. Which Christina Sinclair's involvement in, in this? Exactly. Well, I like to tease people um, that maybe she'll play in the league because they always <laughs> ask me that, even though it's in a few years and, you know, she is player you know, coach. Needs to be. Player coach. Yeah. Player owner coach. Should we add <laughs> player owner coach? Why not? Yeah. Even better. Uh, her role so far is so she's been an, an official advisor. She's on her advisory team for Project 8. And she's kind of been that ambassador as well, being great, obviously, with the, with the media and, and some appearances and talking to a few people behind the scenes. Wouldn't it would be, be great. It would be great. Sorry, uh, James. It would be great if, if, if women in, uh, get involved with the ownership, too. I think that would be just fantastic, top to bottom. Um, obviously, men, that's fine as well. But uh, if women ownership gets involved, I think that would be a, a special moment and potentially, I think, a turning point. So yeah. you're going to have, obviously, you mentioned one international, at least one international per team. That's the plan. In Canadian Maybe. international. Yeah, yes. Canadian international. Um, I, I want to I see if Sinky is playing yeah. still for that point, who gets her? Like, like when that draft happens, sure. it's going to be, that'll be great television by itself, by the way, just the draft yeah. order where that's decided. Even if she's 40, 40, it doesn't matter. You know, she getting will. that brand yeah. behind you would be huge for that team. I'm thinking if we're trying to talk Sinky into playing in the league, though, she might have a bit of leverage in choosing which market she goes to. You might not be able to say, you might go anywhere. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Probably. Because yeah. if she gets drafted and she doesn't like it, she's just going to go, nope, not yeah. going. Yeah. yeah Boy, so. Even better television, right? Yeah. We do it like LeBron when he did his announcement and she holds a press conference to say what team she's going to play for. Taking yeah. my 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 uh my family to South Beach or whatever he said. Yes, right now, exactly. That'd, that'd be brilliant. Um, so you're gonna lure all these players back from overseas. That's the plan. The money's yeah, in place already. Them. What's the feedback been so far from the players you've spoken to who, who are right now are playing in in big leagues overseas? Yeah, a lot of excitement. I think you know when we get a year down the line and we start having serious talks with players about who can come back, it's obviously. You know, you folks know every player is different. It's the club they're currently at, the salary they're at, if they like the coaching, if they're getting minutes, what those facilities are, how old they are in their career, if they've already played overseas. So there's always a ton of factors, but we're we're pretty confident we can get, you know, at least one Canadian women's national team per team. I know Janine has expressed a lot of interest. I think your players like Sophie Smith and um, Desiree Scott are, are going to be fantastic players. I think there's a lot of players like an Evelyn Viennes or Chloe Lacasse who are crushing it abroad, who can come home and rack up the goals. Uh, and younger players, too, who aren't maybe getting as many minutes because their international is playing abroad and the locals are getting preference, bring them back here and have them play yeah. 90. Was that, Did I read it right that there's roughly about 100 players that are over yeah. in Europe right now and you're looking to bring back 50, 50%? 
Yeah, we think we can uh, target about half of that. Yeah. And then seven international players allowed per team. So a bit higher than the NWSL to kind of supplement that player group. Uh, And then youth, like there's two dozen teenagers already that can play in this league. And like four or five years in, we're going to be golden because we're going to have so much talent coming through. So it is, we're going to have to lure those 200 players first to start. (laughs) Well, one of the biggest things, Diana, too, is that it's the players that can't get to Europe, right? Uh and they don't have that passport to get an opportunity to play. So they're really stuck either in in North America. And if they don't have anywhere to play, a lot of them have found a dead end, haven't they? Yeah, absolutely. It's hard to get a, a for, an international contract. You know, if, especially if you don't have a visa, it's a lot of paperwork. There's only a few spots there. Um, and it's a lot of work. And obviously you have to, you know, leave your entire life in Canada. So a, a lot of players make the choice just to call it a career at that point. I guess the one of the next big steps, though, is getting sanctioned by Canada Soccer. Um, what's the conversation been with them so far regarding this? Are they supportive? Is it going to be a challenge? Uh, and how do you go about getting sanctioned? Yeah, I, they've been very supportive behind the scenes. We'll be working with them closely next year to take those steps. And we'll be, we'll be working with experts in the landscape who know how to get sanctioned. Because at the end of the day, it's just a checklist of requirements that you yeah. have to meet. Uh, And our timeline for that is May of 2024. So we have, I mean, we have a year plus window to to work towards that. Um, So it's it's on the timeline, but we're not too concerned that it's going to be an issue at all. Would there be any financial backing from the Canadian Soccer Association? That's a great question. And those will be, you know, those will be starting next year conversations with Bria Carr-Harris and Earl. Obviously, there was funding that kind of came through FIFA Forward through Canada Soccer that's gone to the CPL. So certainly we'd be looking for at least something like that. Uh, I think there's an opportunity to, to build out some coaching uh, pathways, kind of acceleration pathways, referee acceleration pathways to get our refs, you know, uh, pool ready for 2025. And I think those are opportunities where maybe Canada Soccer can help support that too. How about FIFA? I mean, FIFA is, you know, they have a development fund. They certainly have money available for, for this. Uh, is that something that you've considered or approached FIFA? Yep, that's that's all stuff we need to target next year. And for for all the FIFA funds, it has to go through your member association. So it has to go through Canada Soccer. So Bria Carr Harris can really help with that stuff and apply for every dollar that's available. Perfect. Bria's hire now makes more and more sense, right? And then we have Amy Walsh in Montreal. That there's others around the country as well in positions of power to really push the agenda of women's soccer. It's really going places. And what what I love about this. Diana, is that, you know, the CPL is great and everything. It's a pathway. It's a development league, though. This needs to be obviously a development league, but it's beyond that. It's more than that. It wants to be within North America, within the world eventually, you know, a competitive league to go head-to-head with all those. Did you consider going more of the CPL model and just purely development and feeding other leagues? Yeah, for sure. And I think where this really started at the end of the day was Carmelina Moscato and her work in this space. Um, And I think she her first go around on a plan was kind of that developmental league, especially at that time because NWSL was more in the picture. So it kind of seemed like NWSL would come and then you would Mm -hmm. kind of be stuck building a a developmental league. Um, And then the more you look into it, um, one of the things we've found in talking to a lot of women's clubs around the world is how much revenue these clubs make is directly tied to how much money they think they can make going in. And if you go in and you say, ah, we're developmental. Yeah, we're only going to do this part. We're not, you can sell maybe this much. Like you do, you sell this much, but if you go in and you build the thing being like, this is going to be a top product, we're going to bring in incredible 
players. We're going to sell this to top sponsors because we have a great product. You end up making this. And given our, I mean, we already have an incredible youth pipeline. We already have a huge player pool. We already have some of the best players in the world. And the timing is such, I mean, if we did this 10 years ago, probably developmentally. But right now with the appetite in corporate sponsorship and the business case you can make for women's professional teams, the valuation does this, we, we can go big off the bat. And then if we can go big off the bat, the faster it's going to grow. I think one of the things too, people maybe not be that aware of is that the women's game, because it's growing so quickly, uh, Canada is obviously still one of the top teams, but the rest of the world are going to catch up. Europe or, you know, it's exploding. So competition is getting really, really tough. So the World Cup, I mean, it was great Olympics, of course, but the World Cup is really where the money, certainly for the association, will come in, right? The Olympics, I understand that there's zero dollars that comes into the association for anything. Um, so we really hope that they can compete really well at the World Cup because that's really important, Diana, isn't it, in step moving forward because the competition is getting tougher. Yeah. And I think the reality is if we didn't start building a league soon in 10 years, we weren't going to be able to compete anymore because the English player pool is getting too big. Spain, uh, like all these countries are investing way more on their pro side and their player pool is going like this and the quality is going like this. And if we still only have those 60 players, we go up in the player pool. It's not it's not going to be good enough in 10 years. So we we have to get in the market now to compete. Yeah, the timing's great, too, right, with the World Cup next year. Um, and then if you're launching, if it is 2025, um, I imagine you'll be very visible in that World Cup. Women's soccer will get a lot of press next mm -hmm. summer. And then you can just yeah. kind of feed on that momentum, I would think. Can't oh, wait. No. Like the, the timing right now is ridiculous. Like gold medal, we just won on the women's side. Men's World Cup, we're now a men's soccer country too. Soccer has been elevated again. Next year, Women's World Cup, 2024 Olympic Games, this time in Europe, so a bit right. easier to watch. 2025, kickoff, super exciting. 2026, home World Cup? Like, are you kidding me? 2027, another Women's World Cup. And we know there's a there's a boost in viewership and attendance for women's pro leagues around Women's World Cup. 2028, Olympic Games, this time in North America. And then, like, I think we're building stadiums after that. So the thing's just flying. And Women's Champions League in North America is going to come. It's going to be a matter of one, two, three years. But it's going to come here, and that's going to be a huge competition for us, too. We'll all be wearing suits. <laughs> Don't be saying that. <laughs> Wong has jumped in, which means Wong has got questions. I, I have, I have oh, two, no. two comments, but my first one is I think we have to aim higher for our sponsors. We love North Star Bets, but Chico's bail bonds doesn't really pay the bills, does it? So that's number one. And number two, Diana, did you always know you were – this is an entrepreneurial approach to the entire thing did were you always an entrepreneur how did you find your way here that's a great question and no one's asked me that before thanks i think i am <laughs> you're welcome myself uh yes i might be an entrepreneur um i've dabbled in a few things after 2012 myself karina christine and rian uh, formed a company is4 and we started running camps and doing talks so that was my kind of my first uh, venture. And then I was, I was very involved in building the women's player association too, for the women's national team, which taught me a lot as well. And then the, the Smith school has been incredible in kind of teaching me those fundamentals, but I knew, I knew for this, there was no way I could do it alone. The league is too big. I don't have enough business 
experience. Um, and I was really lucky to find an incredible business partner in, in my executive MBA program too, and Thomas Gilbert. So once he showed up, I'm like, okay, I think, I think we can do this now. So that's kind of my next question. What do, obviously you guys have run down the road already a bit together, getting to this place, a huge business plan, pitching. I understand the whole model or some of the model, but what does Thomas bring and what do you bring that allows you to go, hey, we know what we're talking about when you're sitting in front of these boardrooms and asking for investment? Because that's a whole, you know, that's a confidence thing. Mm -hmm. It's a skills thing. And it's also the business plan strategic thing. One is asking for a friend. And if you need a uh, director of marketing and sales, no, just kidding. <laughs> um, I think for me, uh, obviously, I could bring the women's soccer street cred. I could, you know, open a lot of doors for us, for sure. Um, the experience of seeing the industry firsthand for 10 years and seeing what's worked for clubs and what hasn't worked well for clubs and seeing good decisions as much as seeing bad decisions in Huge. professional women's soccer over the mm -hmm. past 10 years, I feel like has shaped a lot of my thinking. And then school gave me the opportunity to really dig into the women's soccer industry and women's sport industry and just learn a ton about that. And the UEFA stuff's been incredible in learning about competition formats. What Tom brought, and, and Tom didn't come from any sport background, is really just the, the business side. A bit of an entrepreneurial background as well. Uh, really incredible at strategy and operations. Uh, and I think we're just, we're good. We work well together. I think we uh, appreciate each other's uh, feedback and viewpoints on things. Uh, so it's, it's just been a really good collaboration so far. It's been uh, 18 months, you mentioned, since you retired. How much do you miss the game, actually getting in that? room getting on that yeah. pitch is it tough still yeah it is and I, I was okay for it a bit because I retired and my body was a mess right like in hindsight I probably should have retired five years sooner and I could probably go for runs more now but that was never going to happen <laughs> um so I can't really go out and play too much because my my foot's a bit of a mess I played for the first time um about six weeks ago this UEFA course I'm in it's all former players so every session we go it's one week and on the first or second day they have a little pickup game like 77 obviously super intense because they're all former uh, pro players and i played for the first time in that i'd like gone three times to, to train with the, the rex girls here to train because i hadn't done anything uh and 10 minutes in pulled my calf and i and i was like okay yeah i'm done i know i know it here that i'm really done yeah <laughs> i know the feeling <laughs> I, know. I feel like we all do that. It's brutal. Just yeah. getting out of bed sometimes. Yeah. Uh, listen, Dan, it's, it's it's really exciting. Um, like you mentioned there, when you reeled off the next few years and what's happening to the sport in this country with the World Cups, Olympics, etc. I mean, you just realize the timing is just bang where it should be. Um, really have good luck in, in this. We'll have you back on for sure for yeah. regular updates. You know, we're looking to really up our, our women's uh, football content on, on this show for sure. Um, Amy Walsh would kick our ass if we didn't. So we yeah. haven't got much choice in the matter. Yeah, she's got to be a regular, um, right? She's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, we're good. talking. We're Amy talking. Walsh. <laughs> yeah. Okay, okay. <laughs> now, Dana, thank you so much for this. Really enjoyed it. And yeah, like I said, good luck and we'll chat real soon. Thanks, guys. Love to chat footy with you. That's great. That is Diana Matthews. You, you know, fellas, you know, we... What I love about this show is over the last couple of years, we, we've had so many great guests on from Canadian football, from Canadian soccer. And you do realize that the level of football IQ in this country is off the freaking charts, Craig. It, it really is. It's, it's, it's a really, we're in a really good place, both the men and mm -hmm. the women's side. You know, you hear about the old excuses 
and and the dark side of the game in this country. But there's a real light there as well. And Diana's yeah, a prime example. Yeah, yeah, and it's great. It's amazing. You know, we we've we've had a a lot of negative uh, stories, you know, in Canada, and we've had to address them, of course. And this is just such a positive story that Diana's done an amazing job with. And you know, from the education standpoint or personal education standpoint her uh, you know hunger yeah. and passion for the game it's just she's the perfect person to do it and you write about people i mean you look at the brain drain out of canada uh like some mark watson um yeah. pat onstead frank gallup mike sweeney um moscato um you know there's plenty of people making a living outside of the country and that's their choice and they might decide on that but it's always nice to be able to have something an opportunity in your own country to develop your own players. And, and yeah. I think it really is important because as we know that the women's world cup and the game is getting massive, they've also expanded to 32 teams. So this next world cup for the first time, I think it's too early. Um, don't think they're quite there yet, but uh, they have done it and uh, it's, uh, it's going to catch up to Canada. So we, we have to be competitive and, and start doing things like this. Otherwise we're going to fall way behind. Yeah. Diana's I right. 10 years from now would be too late. Yeah, I agree with you. And I think, you know, Sharms, to, to go on what you were saying, you know, there there is some fantastic football people in this country that have that have played the game, that have, have gone on to successful businesses and, and still want to play a, play a part. And the majority, if not all of us, um, men and women footballers do get along and we have some amazing conversations and, you know, goals of how we want to do our part to build this game. And, and she's... Diana, you know, Christina, Christine Sinclair, they're, they're all playing a role right now and giving back. And I think some of the obstacles that we do have um, in this country is a lot of the, the weasels trying to get into the game that should really have no business being in, in Canadian football. Um, and they're the ones that cause a lot of problems. And it's good to see that these individuals are giving back right now and helping to grow this game. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Collectively, you know, yeah. that's, a, that's a really good point. Well, those weasels, I mean, they'll be found out. The more we have jobs for, you know, qualified people in this country on both men's and women's sides, you know, the, the culture will, will grow and will get stronger. I'm and, right here, guys. Sorry, Stop calling yeah, me a weasel. Yeah. I'm right here. They'll be found out, right? They'll be accounted, they'll, accountable. Yeah. They'll be getting found out uh, very soon, I think. You can see it's, it's slowly coming now, and it's, it's good to mm. see that. Um, all the people that are here for the right reason are, are, are coming together now to, to help grow this game, which is, uh, it's amazing to see. On the next Great. show, we'll start naming those weasels. Yes, we will. <laughs> oh, yes, we will. Be here for a while. But uh, no, <laughs> no that would be a good show, actually, wouldn't it? All right. Um, listen, uh, meanwhile, there's a little tournament happening in the Middle East, apparently. World Cup quarterfinals kick off on Friday. Um, Croatia, Brazil. Argentina, Netherlands. Then it's Portugal, Morocco on Saturday, England, France. Uh, the Ronaldo story keeps raising its ugly head, eh? There are reports from Portugal that he, he threatened to leave the team when he was dropped the last match. Now, the Portuguese association have come out with a statement, an actual statement saying, that's bullshit. Didn't happen. Everything's good. He's come out and said, listen, it's bullshit. Can we just get on and play football here? Um, there's obviously an anti-Ronaldo agenda, clearly. A lot of it's he's brought on himself. But when I hear these things, I mean, there might be some smoke to it. I don't know. We don't know. You got to kind of just go by face value at this point, Craig. But uh, it does seem that he can't really do anything at this point without people just pointing at him and saying he's up to no good. I think it's a little bit unfair. 
Yeah. When you have nearly a billion followers on social media, you're going to have a lot of bad come with that. And information gets thrown around, as we know, very uh, loosely and uh, misinformation does as well. So we've always been careful that even with some of the stuff that we saw, you know, him walking off, you kind of like, okay, that appears to be the case, but let's uh, let's not read too much into it. Um, yeah. But you're right. He has brought some of it on himself, hasn't he, Jimmy? I mean, that that he has yeah. to blame himself a little bit. I mean, it happened at United, happened at Portugal. So he is the common denominator. Yeah, for it. sure. I, th- I think, look, you know, there there is something there. But I, I genuinely, genuinely haven't seen any signs of it over the last number of games with Portugal at the moment. When the team was scoring, he was there celebrating. He was with his teammates. You know, he had a smile on his face. He, he looked happy. I think you're going to get the press are just looking for something. Look, we've had it in our own country here during this World Cup. <laughs> you know, with people <laughs> making things up and stories because they think it's going to sell that, oh, there's issues here and dressing room. And um, and the same is going to happen, you know, in Portugal or wherever else in the world. It just so happens that he's one of the most famous footballers in the world. And, yeah. you know, when you're when you're up that high in a pedestal, you know, there's always people want to bring you down. But uh, mm-hmm. that Portuguese team's uh, not playing at all. Like there's issues going on behind the scenes. Yeah, there's there's no way he plays as a starts. There's, there's no way they drop Ramos and put him back no. in there. No, and right I think it, it, I think Ronaldo would. I could. I think he could see that. He's a, he's yeah. relatively intelligent. How can he not see it, right? Yeah. So you know, but I was thinking about this. Not since Beckham have there, has there been an athlete or a soccer player anyway, um, who's such box office. As Ronaldo, and I'm not comparing the two players. Obviously, Ronaldo is a far superior footballer to Beckham, who was still a great footballer. But all the noise around him, Beckham couldn't take a shit without some paparazzi or some media member, you know, commenting on on you know the form of his feces, you know. And it seems to be the same way. Jesus, <laughs> was that sorry. too far? I'm sorry, a little bit too far. I was going uh, down a road there and I couldn't get out. You know, Ronaldo, The minute I said taking a shit, I thought, "Oh fuck, what have I done?" But I can't turn around. Let's just go. Let's own this this own metaphor it. now. Peanuts so, with and that corn. Vision, with that vision of Beckham taking a shit, uh, but you know he can do anything, right? Anything at all without it blowing up. And it seems Ronaldo's that guy now. And there's been no one even close to that between these two players, has it? No, no, not really. No, I mean, it's, it's quite something. I mean, one in eight people on the planet, one in nine people on the planet follow him. You Before know. Beckham, who would, who was it? Was it Maradona? Uh, you know, I don't think there was one because it was before social media kind of kicked off during Ooh. Beckham. Oh, imagine Maradona had a oh, Instagram. Yeah. George, Best George, probably, Best. George Best was probably the first, you know, mm. without social media, the first sort of, you know. Rock and roll footballer, they called it. Yeah, rock and roll, yeah. Yeah, it was the it was the off-field antics that got as much press as the on-field brilliance. Yeah, well, and you can imagine him nowadays; he wouldn't be able to survive because it was bad enough back then. He was at every party possible; he wouldn't yeah. miss a party for nothing. Man. Yeah, but could you imagine though some of the characters back then if they had Twitter and Instagram and you know, <laughs> like, like Gascoigne or oh. uh, Decano? Yeah, <laughs> you know all these crazy guys, Georgie Best and. Do you know Maradona. those characters must they're, they're still around? Are they those characters? Do you think in the game they're still or have they been just expunged because of the realities of being a pro these days? You can't be that way. No, I, I but I think the, the games change, right? And the, the players are are a little bit different from what they were. You know, there's a there's a science behind it now and guys look after their bodies and the, they're not as out as much as what they used to. Where back then there was no science, so it's just out all the time. So imagine 
Instagram back then. <laughs> they didn't they didn't understand the sports science. It's it's a great point though, Jimmy, because entourages back then would have been your mates who you grew up with. Now an yeah. entourage is three managers, your your science, right? your physical science yeah. guy, yeah. you know, all of that kind of stuff. Now it's like they are so bubbled, right? These athletes. So I they're I when they do go off like Pierce Morgan and Ronaldo, like that was strategic. So yeah. all of his backlash, like you said, Jimmy, Ronaldo meant to do all of that. He knew what the backlash was going to be. And he is expecting all this. I think Neymar might be that guy, you know, he might be that. I think he has a really good life. Neymar. Mm. I think he enjoys himself pretty good. He keeps mm. it down low, but uh, certainly earlier in his career. That's one my, guy. My daughter, Lila says, dad, do you know this Neymar guy? She goes, he is one good-looking boy. And I'm like, oh, no. Even his lookalike in the stands. See this I guy? know. He's <laughs> a lookalike in the stands. He's being like having selfies with everyone. and He's, he's, he's way too old for her. He, well, thank God. Yeah. <laughs> um, maybe, <laughs> see, if I was a professional footballer today, I, I th- you wouldn't want – you can make really great money and be, you know, lower echelon, right? You know, bottom Premier League, even have a really nice – even – League championship players have a nice life, make really good money. You're out of the spotlight. You're still playing in front of big crowds who, who worship you. That'd be a nice life, but just a little bit outside that spotlight where you can misbehave a little bit without being caught out <laughs> all the time. Yeah, I, actually, I remember, well, well, we hopefully get Shaka Hislop on here as part of that uh, FIFA Uncovered documentary, but he said that when he moved to Portsmouth uh, from West Ham, I was retired, but I was chatting with him and he was like, you know, it's, it's kind of lovely, you know, you're just not like, you're not under that microscope all the time, mm. you know, and then they got promoted. <laughs> Changed it. <laughs> yeah. But Craig, are the, was there a London microscope too, compared to like you played in Ipswich and you lived mm. in Ipswich, but you were playing in West Ham. The London microscope, I guess, would be New York, Toronto for certain sports, right? Yeah, I mean, London is just, it's, yeah, it's so much bigger even in Toronto. So, you know, the players that play in London really like it, manage in London, they like it because they can go missing in pockets of London mm, and nobody knows yeah, who they you are. Hide. You yeah. can hide. Nobody in Knightsbridge is going to have a go at you, you know. That's why Pesci lives there. I think. <laughs> well, Jimmy, let's ask you, Jimmy, compare, can we compare life in, and I'm, I'm not making fun of this at all, but, but life as a professional footballer in Norwich, right? Compared to when you came to Toronto and you were captain TFC in a, in a burgeoning football city that wasn't quite a football city then. How, yeah. how was your, your notoriety here in a bigger city compared to a small was, town? In, in- when I was in, because I, was, I wasn't in, in London, and to go on what Craig was saying, you know, you can hide in London. You could go out and you do your thing and. Where in Norwich you couldn't, because everybody knew you. In Nottingham, everybody knew knew you. Whatever restaurant you went to, cafe, bar, whatever it was. That's people, why you wore your kid everywhere, Jimmy. Yeah, you wanted people, to be known. People always knew you. And then when I came, when, <laughs> when you were winning. Yeah, when I came back to Toronto, unless you were a, a diehard football fan, mm. you know, you you could go high because in Toronto you you'll go out and you know you got Raptor players, Leaf players, Blue Jays, celebrities, you know. Nobody really cares, mm-hmm. you know, and you could, you could hide in the city, get away from, from everything. Mm-hmm. Things change now. Do you think uh, TFC players, the game's bigger than it was 12 years ago yeah. here, um, but I still think most TFC players could walk down the I street. I think it's, it's just different, Charms. 
it's much yeah. different charms like it's just like i remember when i first got over here and the leafs had missed the playoffs another bad season or something and then uh i saw them out in toronto they're having like an end of season drinking party get out and whatever and people are asking for their autographs you know and stuff like that and i was like wow that's that's a, a massive cultural difference because if i was in ipswich or west ham and we had had a season like that you couldn't go out no you, you're like you're you'd be you could be physically hurt mm-hmm. going out um so you would go to another city. You go to London. Like we no, you, go to London for a night out because it was like <laughs> you can't go out in Ipswich. You get you'd actually get hurt. And if you so, and if you lost if you lost certain games as well, if you lost Derby matches, you would never go. You wouldn't be going out for a week. Yeah, you there's no chance. The fans so would be maybe, going crazy. Maybe we don't want to be a football culture because <laughs> that's not healthy. Yeah, I tell you, being a football player is not as easy as like a lot of people think when you're playing in Europe. It's it's intense. Well, we it's forget about the human element. The old excuse, oh, these guys make so much money, they should be happy, what a life. But there's that there's still humans who have to deal with a lot of bullshit. And and there is definitely a dark side to being any kind of notoriety, especially though in a sport where you're so polarizing. People love you or they hate you. It's kind mm-hmm. of where it works in, in football cultures, so to speak, right? Yeah. At least as a rock star, we compare pro athletes with rock stars all the time. At least if you're a rock star, you're going to a full stadium and everyone there loves you. There isn't <laughs> one prick there saying, hey, you loser, piece of shit. Oh, you're bullshit. No, none of that. <laughs> right? No, they've actually bought tickets to come and see you. They already like you. It's they're, <laughs> Already, they're, yeah. They're there for you to lose. Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. It's much better being a rock star. Give them yeah, the choice. Like, oh, you go to a away match, 60,000 people. Yeah. <laughs> and everybody wants to like throw literally bags of shade at you. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, and listen, before we go, uh, let, let, let's rip through the um, quarterfinals very quickly. Just tomorrow's games, Friday's games, get a pick from you each. Um, and if you want to make some bets, you should make bets at footybets.ca. North Star Bets have you covered some great deals and offers there. Um, all right. First one tomorrow morning, Friday, Croatia, Brazil. Uh, Jimmy. Quick thought and a pick. Um, quick thought. Croatia, very good team. Um, love the way they play. Just worried about their legs. I think Brazil's depth and energy that they're playing um, and where they are right now, I think they will win the game. Brazil. Okay. That's pretty That's pretty much what I think too. I think just Croatia, they were tired before the last match. They've gone into extra time and penalties, the emotional roller coaster of that. But... But they are so gritty, man. They're, they are like, you just can't, it's very difficult to bet against them, but you have to go Brazil. You have to on paper, but they are they are pretty special, this Croatian side. Uh, North Star Bets on our footybets.ca had them at uh, eight to one. So I threw five bucks down on Croatia in, in regulation. That's, why not? That's really great value. Because yeah. I know what you're saying. Is that yeah, Croatia see, have the eight X to factor. one? Yeah. That's why I was going. Oh, what the yeah, hell? Brazil, by all right, should win that thing. They're a better team, but we just seen we've seen Croatia win these games before. Oh, they're done now. They but the the way they're preparing for this team, they know how to play a team like Brazil. And I don't care how tired they are, they're Croatia. They find it they, somewhere. They might run it, I guess, in the final or the semi final. But these kind of yeah. games, yeah. All right, Argentina, Netherlands. That's a beaut. I, I posted this morning. I'm not sure if you saw it. Uh, Louis Van Gaal was being interviewed in the press conference alongside Memphis Depay 
And I guess it was asked about the time at Man United together, which didn't end too well. And That's he goes, right. I'll, I'll kiss him on the mouth now. That's what <laughs> Van Hal said to Memphis and Memphis just lost it. It was pretty amusing. That's a loose group, it seems like, doesn't it? Yeah, you know, it, their past teams haven't always been like that. You know, even going back to the 94 team, you know, absolutely stacked. Better team than this on paper. Oh, yeah. yeah. But one thing about this Netherlands side, I mean, the conversion rate is quite something. Um, after four games, they had the same opportunities on net as Canada in three, but they've also scored eight goals off 14 shots on target. So incredible conversion rate. Or Argentina's going to outchance them, uh, in my opinion. But that's why you have to go, you know, look at Netherlands and why they've done so well is because they've just been so lethal in front of net in the final. The best third. part yeah. of this whole World Cup so far, it's not about Morocco, it's not about Canada's, you know, it is the slow evolution of our own Craig Forrest into Stato. It's been a something to behold, and I love it. It's, it's amazing. True. He's now our stats guy. It's true. Analytics, Craig, we'll call him. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I'm not a stats guy. Analytics, not, Craig. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah. It's good. I mean, you can, you can see, even FIFA's, FIFA's doing a lot of uh, analytics, obviously, and after the first round. I mean, there's so big changes even from the last World Cup. Goalkeepers' touches are up like 700% or something. Like, are they really? Oh, it's incredible. That's interesting. Yeah, it really is. And they found that the, the, the wide players and the teams with the best wide players are, are most likely – to to win the world cup so yeah some interesting things and i think some of the rule changes in the the short where the goalkeeper keeps possession inside the 18 yard box jimmy is something that we never had to play with but i really like it i think it's developed the game and made it a really technical passing game mm. there was a great stat i saw um there for messi they're talking about the most kilometers walked in the world cup <laughs> <laughs> and messi was like way up there <laughs> more than some goalkeepers <laughs> yeah you yeah. say, oh, you're gonna, be, you're gonna be found out nowadays. You can't hide, and Messi doesn't give a shit. When yeah, he, he, run, he gets the ball at his feet. Yeah, Fuck he's, it, he's watch not walking out. then, is he? Yeah. All right, Jimmy, Argentina, Netherlands. Who you got? Um, I'm going to go with uh, Argentina on this one. Um, and you know, I think when you and you you said it there, Charms. Just there, there's a good little buzz around the Dutch in this tournament. And I think far too often over the number of years, when you looked at the Dutch on paper, some phenomenal teams and phenomenal players, but they always seem to implode. There's always some issues that they end up having in the dressing rooms. And you know, they always end up arguing, losing silly games. And uh, But I, I think this time they've got it right. They've got a good chemistry, but I don't think that they're going to have enough to beat Argentina. And I say that as well because with the – you know, with the Dutch and going back to the teams that they have, you'd think they've they would have won an awful lot more than what they have. With oh, the yeah. teams that, and players that they produce. Well, not one World Cup. No, that's incredible. They got the one Euro, one Euro in '88. Yeah. yeah, some of the most deep teams and squads we've ever seen at World incredible. Cup. Incredible. Maybe this is a year when they don't look quite as deep. More, more, lesser known players that they get it all together. I picked them a few times to win. I think. Yeah. Yeah. I think Craig actually lost in all those numbers. I forget who is your pick in this one: Netherlands, Argentina. Uh, I can't bet against Messi right now. Yeah, yeah. You got numbers there, Wunger? Argentina. Yeah, I didn't do the numbers, but I uh, I know Jimmy and I have Argentina and Dave Decola's pool. 
who actually yeah. sent me some of the stats. So we'll go through that tomorrow. And tell I don't think it'll matter at this point. What you do, you could get every result correct now. Right. And, and you ain't going to win that poor uh, All right. Dave's no. daughter, I think, is, uh, is rocking yeah. right now. <laughs> rocking it over Morocco. me for sure. If but Morocco, Argentina, look, Morocco I have Argentina winning. winning. Morocco to win it? If Yeah, wow. then you'd probably be okay. You might win the pool, but I don't think anybody's got Morocco winning it. I might put some money down to Morocco, actually. What the hell? Mm-hmm. I, I actually what, did. What, put down a buck 50. Yeah, <laughs> I might. 75 I might cents. go as high as five bucks on that. Good for you. Yeah, yeah, I might. I might. North Star Bets has a uh, as someone who's got some some juice now. Yeah, exactly. Um, okay, well, they're the two games tomorrow. We'll return tomorrow, and we will uh, talk about what happened and look ahead to Saturday's games, including, of course, England against France, and getting a little bit nervous about that one already. Fubo TV, of course, is your source for all things football. The premise just around the corner. And they have exclusive rights, of course, to the English Premier League, amongst many others. FuboTV.com slash Footy Prime. Sign up. Why don't you? All right. Thanks. Uh, thanks to Dana Matheson for a really fascinating chat there. We're going to follow that story really closely over the coming weeks, months, and years. All right. This has been Footy Prime, the podcast. We'll chat tomorrow. Keep buying newspapers. Cheers for listening. Follow us on Twitter at Footy underscore Prime on Instagram at Footy Prime IG. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 